Okay. Thank you and welcome. You've just tuned into the Green by Design podcast, which must mean you're an interior designer, decorator, home stager, furnishings maker, or just a fan of going green inside. So thank you for tuning in today, regardless of who you might be out there. The goal of this podcast is to help the interior design professionals and industry as a whole go green through education, discussion, and connection. And I am your host, Erica Reiner from EcoMethod Interiors. And today's guest is Susan Inglis. Did I pronounce that last name correctly, Susan? It's actually Ingles. It's a surprising Ingles. pronunciation, Susan Ingles. And I'm okay. very glad to be here with you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. I'm going to introduce you so people can learn a little bit more about you. Now, for those listening, Susan is the Executive Director of the Sustainable Furnishings Council and resident expert with the organization she helped found in 2006. She has led the Sustainable Furnishings Council to work with industry leaders to establish criteria in order to gauge the sustainability of furniture products and practices, develop programs for educating all sectors of the industry, and attract hundreds of companies to membership. Ingalls is the, also the founder of From the Mountain, a company that imports hand-spun cashmere yarn from Afghanistan, providing safe income for over 100 women there. Susan serves on the board of the American Sustainable Business Council and was awarded a 2017 Visionary Leadership Award by the, I think NC means North Carolina Business Council. And she lives also in North Carolina. So again, thank you for being here. I am so glad to have you and also um, have you as a member of SFC. So thank you. Just great. Thank you. Delighted to be here and for you to be involved with our work, Erica. Thank you. Oh, yes. Everyone out there, I uh, recently became a member. I'm very excited about it. So you should too if you haven't already. It's not, I, I learned that it's not just for furnishings um, makers, it's also for designers like myself, and I would assume maybe a little bit for architects. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's for any company involved in the industry in any way. Yep. Great. That's very inclusive, which is awesome. Yeah. Okay, so we know a little bit about you, but I would love to know more about how you got started doing what you're doing. Um, maybe how you got started into uh, the company that you founded with the um, Afghani textiles and the women's work mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how you parlayed that into the broader scope of the Sustainable Furnishings Council and why that's important to you. Yeah, I'm happy to tell those things. Um, and the only challenge will be to keep me from going on and on. I could <laughs> too much. <laughs> But I will tell you that my whole career has been working with um, people and companies who make things. So when we started the Sustainable Furnishings Council, there was a natural flow to that. I grew up in a family that made things with our hands for fun. And you'll probably notice in the background, there's some handmade stuff um, sitting in the living room of my house here. Um, and when it came time for me to make a living, I did not have sense enough to go and get a job. Rather, I thought, what can I make? 
And I had lots of yarn. I had lots of sweater ideas. I'd been making sweaters slowly. I got a knitting machine and started making sweaters more quickly. And that grew into a sweater business, actually. And um, after some um, years of that, it evolved into a home textiles business. As I was invited by the organization I was doing production with for my sweaters. I was invited by them to go to Nepal to work with artisans there to get their skills and products to new markets. Those artisans make things with nettle cloth, which comes from the inner bark of the giant stinging nettle plant that grows only in the middle altitudes of the Himalaya. And I flew to a remote airport and walked three days to get to those artisans and loved being there working with them and knew that no matter what product I developed, nobody was going to happen along out there to buy it. So I decided I better take responsibility for bringing it to market. And with that decision made in the Himalaya and made in the moment, I decided, okay, I'm going to import a load of these textiles we're developing. When, and when they arrived some six months later, I sort of declared this new business. And with the artisans in West Virginia who had been making my sweaters, I started making pillows and sofa throws. So this business importing things for the home because the nettle cloth is very much like linen and is very good for things like placemats. And that was, in fact, our main product. So it was home textiles that I was um, making with artisans in Nepal, with artisans in West Virginia, soon with artisans in Guatemala as well. And the business evolved to include brokering product, most of which I identified through publicly funded projects that I would serve as a consultant to. So I'd done a lot of short-term consulting for development projects, projects that might have a conservation mission like the one in Nepal or a uh, rural poverty alleviation mission or something like that, a women's empowerment mission. And my job um, over this range of projects would be to help with um, artisans understanding new markets they could serve, developing products for new markets, and actually making connections for them to those new markets. So by the time the 2006 came around, I was putting a lot of products into the residential furnishings industry. And that's where, and, and none of the Afghan cashmere goes into the residential furnishings industry at this time. It, it, it started, I started working with artisans in Afghanistan later. It is very difficult to work there and we're not very active, but the hand spun cashmere yarn is at this time available in many shops that you can find on the website from the mountain.com. Um, in 2006, I was putting a lot of products into the residential furnishings industry when I got wind of the fact that there was going to be a meeting to talk about whether to start a new organization that might be called Sustainable Furnishings Council. And I thought, well, 
that sounds interesting. Sounds like something that could be useful to my business. Sounds like the kind of thing that's right up my alley. So I went and the meeting was called by Jerry Cooklin in his showroom in High Point. And it was an all day facilitated meeting to talk about the impact of the residential furnishings industry and the impact of decisions made by all segments of the industry, by interior designers, by suppliers, by manufacturers, of course, by retailers. And the upshot of the day was a decision by the 70 or so people present to yes, see if we can form an organization. So we had an organizational meeting at the High Point Market in the fall of 2006 that resulted in the formation of a few committees and in the actual incorporation of the organization before the spring 2007 market. And I have served as executive director of the organization since the beginning. There at the beginning, it was a keep an eye on it about one day a week kind of job. And it, it soon became a full-time job and pretty much eclipsed the work I had been doing with From the Mountain, and which, as I said, exists in name, but is pretty much hibernated at this point. So there's the background. That's um, a great story. Yeah. So now on your website, um, so can people still buy products from there? Yes. They're, okay. the, the hand-spun cashmere is available for sale directly from fromthemountain.com. And, and I will pack it up for you with my own hands. It's a, um, and, and we'll see that what we've got left now is sort of odds and ends. We, the, 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 the formal business is in hibernation, but we've got plenty of beautiful, gorgeous odds and ends that we're happy to sell. That's great. What a great story. Okay, wow. So when you got started, you were, this is pre-e-commerce, so you were hawking the sweaters at your local stores. You were, then you got, went, got back from Nepal. Six months later, a shipment came in. You were just working the buyers in your town and then tried to grow it nationally. Is that, I just love the nitty gritty of business building. So I love Yes. That. Well, I did a lot of pavement pounding. Um, the sweater business eventually had eight reps across the country, sales representatives, and the home textiles business was selling products nationally and brokering products nationally. So yes, I would go to shows, I would do the New York gift show, did the inaugural New York textiles show is what it was, it was the New York home textiles show at that time. Um, so yes, I would, and, and I did high point market during that period too. Right. So early and from the mountains existence that I first went to high point market where sustainable furnishings council work is very much um, centered because that is the international home furnishings market. And, and so um, we do a lot of programming at markets such as the one coming up next month. Yes. And I would love to see um, more of that. I'm excited to see how sustainable we all can make High Point. And I, I've done a little bit of digging. 
before in the past I've been hesitant to go just because I'm like trying I'm always trying to find new vendors and makers who are doing something sustainable it could be any anything just something a little bit better than the norm and conventional and so I've done a bit of digging around in the high point market um like they give you a list of the exhibitors. Um, and I, it's a bit of a convoluted search. Like I have to start with the keyword green and then I have to start with the keyword eco and then I have to start with the keyword sustainable. And then I have to like get a piece of paper and try and write them down. And so I'm looking for, I'm wondering if you suspect in the future, there might be like a section of high point market that's like all sustainable in some way. That would be great. Cause I like get in and get out. <laughs> Well, you will be very glad to know that we publish a guide. It's called The Guide to Green at High Point Market. And we also do it for the Las Vegas market. It's called One Good Guide at Las Vegas Market. The Guide to Green at High Point Market, we've been publishing since 2007. And in 2007, we did have an eco pavilion. We have had eco pavilions at various shows at various times. I'm interested to hear you say that that's specifically what you want. We have found that what is effective in general is rather than a pavilion, the ability of the buyer yourself to identify real eco options in whatever section of market. So whether you're going to the, whether you're going shopping for rugs or for upholstered furniture or for case goods or for whatever, these things are in the place at market that makes sense for them because of their style, because of their price point. What we do is guide you to them for their eco attributes. And we're, what we're guiding you to is members of Sustainable Furnishings Council. And you can see on our website, sustainablefurnishings.org, you can see what the eco attributes of each of these companies is. So you can see their best practices, what a sort of snapshot of what the company is committed to doing and where they are now in their journey. Yeah, you know, now that you say that, that make, does make more sense because that's, that's what I do when I search online. I don't start yes. with like one place unless it's like one vendor I know has almost everything yeah. in there. But I don't start with that. So in my work as a green or eco-friendly interior designer, I pride myself on it being one part science, one part art, and knowing where what attributes to look for within the style and the budget and the criteria I'm looking for where I might identify certain criteria or items, products, materials that I can swap out for something uh, more eco-friendly or sustainable or non-toxic. So now that you say that, that is exactly how I work. So I don't, I, I, I start from the other way. If I'm looking for a rug, I'll look for certain attributes in that rug. um, Yes. And and make sure it fits with the style and the budget and so on. Yes. So that makes complete sense. Good. And that's why you're here today to tell us all <laughs> what to do. Uh, and okay, so what I want to know is in your time over these years and basically since the inception of Sustainable Furnishings Council, what have you seen that strikes and resonates with you as 
really your biggest why. Like, why is green interior design important to you? What have you seen that keeps you passionate all these years later? Yeah, we. it happens that you and I are talking on the day that students around the world are striking for climate action. None of them are old enough to vote and all of them are striking for climate action. The climate crisis is one of the reasons our organization must exist and must do all we can to help this industry, the residential furnishings industry, reduce environmental footprint. So the, it is such a big, big problem that it can be overwhelming. But the fact is that where we are, each of us as individuals, as companies, as industries, as nations, must reduce environmental footprint very significantly. If we continue emitting as much carbon dioxide as we are today, for in eight years from now, we will be at a place that it is irreversible. We have eight years, by some calculations, 11 years. We have very little time to reduce CO2 emissions so that the temperatures will not completely run away from us. And as you know, we are facing the melting of ice caps, the rising of sea level in any case. So there, that means that we as an industry, we as individual businesses, we as individuals must plan for how we are going to live when, storm, when it's hotter and wetter where we live or hotter and drier where we live and when the storms and the forest fires and the floods, whatever it is where we are, are stronger. So we have to be able to plan for that. And that is a, a lot of what our educating is about. Another emergency we are facing besides the pollution from carbon dioxide is the emergency of pollution in our indoor environments. The emergency of the harmful chemicals that we bring into our homes with furnishings products and with other things. There are tens of thousands of harmful chemicals used in the manufacture of all manner of consumer products. It's not just your furniture. But there are five harmful chemicals that are commonly used in furnishings that are the five harmful chemicals most commonly used in furnishings that we are concerned about. And we want you designers who specify furnishings to be aware of them. We want you to be asking what it's made of whenever you're specifying anything. And we know that you're doing so is going to help all the vendors you're working with clean up their offerings to you such that eventually these five harmful chemicals will be replaced, hopefully with something much cleaner. Absolutely right. And you touched on my very favorite subject, which is the cross-section of environmental science and environmentalism and economics. Now, I will admit in my undergrad, environmental studies 
major, I got a C in environmental economics. Hard to do. <laughs> it's hard stuff. <laughs> but I'll let that go. It's still my favorite topic because in this country and in, frankly in a lot of the Western world and now with the emergence of the middle class in a lot of these uh, booming Asian markets, uh, the most important thing we can do in the way our society is currently set up, so without an anarchist revolution, the, what, the one thing we can do now is vote with our money. And so mm -hmm. our markets will and have been responding to demand. Simple as that. So if it starts with awareness, education, talks like these, getting other designers involved, which is what this podcast is about, and creating that demand, and we will see changes, just like we saw with yeah. Arlene Blum's work and, and uh, the yeah. fire retardants and requirements in California, we will see more of that happen. I just read a report from... Um, Oh, I don't remember, but I did remember seeing the statistical um, conclusion that, first of all, this industry is growing, like with the popularity mm -hmm. of shows and social media sharing and all that kind of fun stuff, people are really interested and I think they're starting to understand the psychology of design more and how mm -hmm. your space can greatly impact your mood, your productivity, your stress levels, mm -hmm. your joy, your mm -hmm. expression, even mm -hmm. for, I see things like isolation and then lack thereof, so being able to, or the opposite thereof, so then enjoying having people over and hosting and community all mm -hmm. um, intertwined with things like interior design and, and our environments. And now, you know, the term biophilic design is becoming more popular and people are getting interested in that. So that's great. And we're, and we're seeing awareness and a conversation moving there about the mental health and wellness aspect. Yeah. What we want to see is the demand for the physical and the awareness of just what you said. There are about 100,000-ish chemicals since World War II that are on mm -hmm. our, in everything that have been created, very few which have been tested, very mm -hmm. few which have been banned. Um, mm -hmm. So I would love for you to go over uh, just briefly the five, the five chemicals specifically for this industry. But yes. um, yeah, you just touched on two really great points because there's nobody yeah. protecting you from the, anything that you bring in your house. It can be made with whatever for the most part. And it's very hard to change legislation, but we need both, right? Like we need to be asking yeah. and lobbying exactly. as hard as the chemical industry is lobbying, which is a exactly. fantastically wealthy industry, a strong, powerful exactly. lobbyist group. So we need that. But then also, we have to educate the consumer base and the designer base so that we can create the man demand, which will provide a better foundation for requesting of our government to protect us a little bit better. It will be an easier sell. Mm -hmm. So what are those five mm -hmm. things that we want to look out for? The five harmful chemicals, and these are classes of chemicals, are VOCs, volatile organic compounds like formaldehyde the flame retardant chemicals, the highly fluorinated stain treatments, antimicrobials, and PVC or vinyl. Yes. PVC is our 
most common plastic and it, it comes in pliable or rigid forms and we frequently in our industry just know it as vinyl. All of these things can exist in home textiles, for instance. All of them are um, persistent. That is, they, even if we stopped using any of them today, they would still exist in the environment for decades and centuries. And, and all body. of them, exactly, all of them are associated with harm to human health and to other life on the planet. Yes. Now, yeah. now I know that PVC is one of the no-nos. Is it, to your recollection, is it um, inundated with phthalates or is that a separate Yes, category? phthalates are, are added to make the vinyl pliable. That's so right. to, to make the PVC So it's rigid when it is uh, not got any phthalates in it, usually like the plumbing pipes. And then phthalates are added to make it very pliable, like a shower curtain or something. Right. Which is why your shower curtain smells, by the way. That's Those right. new ones when That's you open right. it up. Um, so, yeah. Uh, okay. So, when we get to this point in conversation with, with anyone or to the consumer or to the designer, their next question is, well, usually the question is, okay, so what do I need to avoid? Um, and what I'll just say to you, to everyone out there, is it's actually so much. You'd be down this rabbit hole and never come out. Mm -hmm. So basically, yes, you can avoid entire categories um, of mm -hmm. things to the best of your ability and get as educated as you can. For me, I find it easier to, to tell people to look specifically for the good things. Um, and mm -hmm. so to look for certain keywords um, in a um, textile, that might be something like organically grown fiber, or it might be undyed mm -hmm. or um, low impact dye or yeah. untreated, certain, mm -hmm. certain words that indicate healthier criteria, mm -hmm. as well as certifications. That are, that's the easiest way to go. So that's mm -hmm. like, you know, looking for those criteria, asking the makers, and then a level above that is a third-party certification who's done the yes. hard work for you. Um, yeah. So just to wrap that whole question up in a bow, I would just say to anyone listening, my advice is to look for specifically for the makers, which is what I do in my practice, who are making the better things instead of looking mm -hmm. to exclude the entire rest of the 99.9% mm -hmm. of the industry. Mm -hmm. That's incredibly overwhelming. Yeah. Just to, just to put a bow around that. Yeah. And I'll give our listeners a few more tools, too. I um, want to be sure everybody knows we do have a buying guide on sustainablefurnishings.org that will take you through different materials and help you know what questions to ask, what answers to look for. When you are deciding what store to buy wood furniture from, for instance, I urge you to make use of our wood furniture scorecard, which ranks stores on their wood sourcing policy. When you are concerned about those harmful chemicals we've been talking about, 
I urge you to make use of a supply chain questionnaire, which we have on sustainablefurnishings.org, which is um, in the what's it made of section and which helps you have the conversations with your vendors about whether these sorts of harmful chemicals might be present in the products you're looking at um, and what they what they have to offer you. It just helps you have the conversation. And that is the kind of tool you need, is tools for the conversation. Now, there are certifications, and you'll find those referred to on both the buying guide, um, on the what's it made of supply chain questionnaire, and on the wood furniture scorecard. There are certifications you can look for, and looking for them is very important. It's also important to know that you won't always find them. So knowing how to have the conversation is also important. And Erica, I think that's one thing that you have said is, um, is a core part of your practice. Yes, absolutely. So thank you for sharing that. And that is an invaluable resource because if you are just dipping into, if you are a designer, stager, decorator, architect, whatever, and you are attempting to get more into green or incorporate green into your, into your practice or bring it to your firm or whatever, it can be very overwhelming and you might not know where to start. So something like that is really, really good for getting your bearings because quite frankly, this industry in its shift towards going green is the wild, wild west right now. There are many certification bodies. There are many different words that can confuse people. Sustainable, eco-friendly, green, non-toxic. They're, they're sometimes used interchangeably, sometimes mean different things to different people. There's greenwashing. So for anyone who doesn't know, mm -hmm. greenwashing is a term where as green has become a bit trendier over the years, companies will attempt to market themselves as being green. And I have seen this so many times um, where they will check a box, like say on wayfair.com, there's a, there's a box you can check that, that says, is this product eco-friendly? And then the description of what makes it eco-friendly is ridiculous. And so an example of trying to push into the niche green market and claiming something that they're interpreting is helpful in some way that's called greenwashing um, and you and so you just want to know that that exists you want to you want to go beyond checking the box looking for that box and dig a little bit deeper for your client's sake and your sake in the worker's sake um, for the people who make the products and um, exposed to different things the planet itself uh, on the whole, and then the workers on our end, if we're doing renovations, remodels, whatever, because there are so many people exposed to uh, different things and we have to consider them as well. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what true. Yeah. I would want to know, uh, let's see. Okay. What would you, if there are um, vendors and makers listening or um, maybe we could send this episode to some big box stores or just, just get it out there. What would you like to see more of in the industry um, in terms of shifting towards uh, green and socially responsible? Mm -hmm. 
I would like to see people be loud about their commitment. I would like to see people and companies be loud about their commitment. Amen. And so I really think, yeah, it's important, isn't it? Um, I really think that the requirements we have for Sustainable Furnishings Council membership are worth considering. First, we ask that companies have their own commitment, whatever that is, a corporate commitment to sustainability. Sustainability is a wide umbrella. The company might be focused more on reducing CO2 emissions, might be focused more on reducing other pollution. The planet is in enough trouble. We need to all of us start where we are and go forward. So whatever your corporate commitment is, it's a good place to start. The next requirement for Sustainable Furnishings Council membership, an item that we think is very, very important, is a commitment to transparency so that when your customers ask you what makes you say you're eco-friendly, you are willing to tell them. You're willing to answer their questions thoroughly. And this goes to avoiding greenwash. As um, Erica is saying, there is a lot of greenwash going on. uh, Some of it is just a grab for market share. Some of it is unintentional. And you can dissipate a lot of this with a perfectly loud commitment to transparency. And finally, The most important thing is that we all, each of us as individuals, each of us as companies, each of us as industries, each of us as countries, commit to continuous improvement. Sustainability is a journey. There is no perfection. The closest thing to perfection is your volume and your unflagging continuous improvement. Absolutely. So well said. You must have done this before. That was perfect. (laughs) That sentiment is exactly what I want to share. Start somewhere, do better, look for better, um, do whatever you can. And um, that is something I went through. I personally, so I was in the environmental industry and then I, for startups and small companies, I helped them start. And then I was very passionate about environmental education. So I started, I was an adjunct lecturer of environmental science and I love that. I might do it again one day. Um, And then I started my design business. I, I studied decor, decorating, and then I was starting to get the projects and little portfolio pieces here and there, just getting my feet wet. And then I, you know, had to contend with like branding and marketing and all that kind of stuff. And I, at the beginning, really left my commitment and, and what I wanted to do out of the picture because I didn't know how to incorporate it. And I didn't know if I could promote that, if that would be successful. And then I just decided, uh-uh, I'm changing the name of the company and I'm changing what I accept to work with and I'm going to work with ideal clients and people are going to know that when they work with me, I will have a custom green guide for them outlining the goals of the project in a way that's well suited to them. Again, starting where we can, where we can. And, and that is now my whole, whole ethos. Um, and is now 
what I'm presenting. And unfortunately, I have seen um, companies hide their sustainability goals and efforts mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they think of preconceived notions of barriers to entry for the consumer. And so I really mm -hmm. want any maker out there and I want every designer who works with makers to constantly be letting them know that that is important to them and ask the questions. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything, mm -hmm. even if it's your favorite conventional store, say, is there anything that you're making that's eco-friendly? This is important to me. I'm incorporating it into my business because on more than one occasion, I have seen a vendor or maker or supplier hide their sustainability efforts. And that's like crazy and counterintuitive, but it's because they think that people don't buy for, for eco-friendly. They buy for whatever else first. But I really want to say it's both. I think it is. friendliness is a, can be a beautiful thing. Uh, it sure like can. It sure can. You're absolutely right that eco-friendliness can be a beautiful thing. And there it does fit in with our uh, understanding that beauty is from within. But more important than that, I want to be sure your our listeners know that we know that they are concerned about environmental issues. They are acting out of their concern. And of course, if they are going shopping for furnishings or for uh, interior design services, they are first going shopping with whatever their taste is and whatever their budget is. But when a consumer knows that it is also an eco-friendly product, so not only they like it, they can afford it, but it has a valid eco story, 90% of them would be interested in that product first. We've been doing consumer research since 2008, and this is something that we have seen consistently, though this 90% number is the current number and is the highest we've ever seen. Interest is growing. But you're right, when we ask consumers, okay, so how come you're not buying as much in eco-friendly home furnishings as you are in other things like organic food and yes. recycled paper products and non-toxic cleaning products? It is not because those things are less expensive. No, it is because they do not know that eco-friendly home furnishings exist. Yes. So that means it is up to us in the industry and up to the interior designers, most of all, to tell the story. So when you bring your uh, client a set of options, make sure to tell them not only uh, how you would fit it into their living room or whatever, but also what the eco attributes are. Absolutely. So well said once again. Um, and so I think I'd like to end on a positive note, which is what positive green changes have you seen? Just give me one example of like a, a great thing you've seen quite recently within our industry. Well, one thing I've seen is that growing consumer interest. This is great good news for all of us, no matter what segment of the industry we're working in. It's great good news that there is more interest and that and all we have to do is tell the story of what we have on offer and we're pretty much guaranteed a response to it. To give you more detail on that, the research shows that consumers do often think 
that the eco option is going to cost more. Well, some things do cost more. For instance, certifications, as we were mentioning earlier, certifications do have a cost attached to them. Someone has to do the audit and they have to get paid to do the audit. And so that's going to increase the cost of the product. In the fact, in the, the fact is that in the case of residential furnishings, in general, the construction of the product is so complex that whatever the certified elements are, they are not the largest elements of the product. And so overall, it doesn't add a lot to the product. For instance, if you have a sofa with an FS Forest Stewardship Council certified frame, the, it might just put the cost of the whole sofa up a couple of percentage points. And we know that consumers are perfectly willing to pay up to 10% more, just like they would for their favorite brand or any other attribute that means something to them. So that's something I want you to know is that their first reaction is they think, oh my goodness, it's going to cost more. Well, not always. Not always. That's right. It Just doesn't like always organic. And again, that demand, putting your money where your mouth is, it helps all yes. of us. So Just like at Trader Joe's, the organic spaghetti is sometimes cheaper. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Demand makes a big difference. The other thing I want you to know is that consumers are hungry for information. We know this because we're listening to this podcast now. So we are listening to get more information. We are all hungry for information. And your customers are hungry for information. So they want you to tell them what you know about the eco attributes of furnishings, and they want you to have that knowledge base. So I will give another little plug here. Of course, sustainablefurnishings.org is full of useful information for educating yourself, preparing yourself for your conversations with your clients. We also teach a course, a certificate course called Green Leaders that is six hours long. It's worth six CEUs and you can take it online or live. We're teaching it in Minneapolis in November of this year. And it is, it will give you that grounding and what the issues are, that understanding of what clients, customers are concerned about, what consumer concern points are, and then lots and lots and lots of questions to ask and answers to look for as you are choosing materials and products and making design decisions. Finally, it includes a sales training module to help you put it all together and do your job better and grow your business which is exactly what you will be able to do with the current crisis we're faced with and with your client's eagerness to be part of the solution. That's absolutely right. And I don't think I finished my, my thought because I got too excited about other things about this earlier. <laughs> but that report I mentioned saying that the home industry world and market is growing also specifically noted, and I didn't note any other characteristics like this, but it only specifically noted, and consumers are increasingly interested in eco-friendly options. That didn't say they're interested yeah. in anything else. We're seeing that, you know, throughout the industry. And if you are a designer listening to this, 
this course is such a good place to start with those certain criteria. You might choose to do other things later, like well or lead or whatever, or maybe you've already done that. But this is going to be really good for folks that are, you know, have been designing and are learning a little bit more and trying to incorporate green things. It's going to give you a great structure and lead in to make it a little bit more clear on how to do it instead of just trial and error or being, you know, down in the internet rabbit hole of chemicals and scary things. You just want to know, you just want to have someone like help you through that transition from conventional design to being able to offer to your clients. Yes, actually, I do know about where to start and what to look for. And you don't have to go elsewhere. Like I can handle that for you in whatever capacity that that looks like. Mm So, yeah. So that is a very practical. Yes, absolutely. And the sales component, that's ideal. So maybe when I'm done studying for my well exam, that'll be next on the list for me because I'm a lifelong (laughs) learner. (laughs) Um, Maybe I could help deliver the course one day. Who knows? That's I love true too. Good yeah. possibility. Yeah. So, okay. I will not take up any more of your time. You've been so generous with it. I have so enjoyed our conversation. You know, Me so too. much. And, and it was just a pleasure learning from you and getting to share all of your wisdom. So where is one place that our listeners can find you? Sustainablefurnishings.org. So you can go to sustainablefurnishings.org and you can contact us from any number of pages on there. So please do that. Please come to our website and consider getting involved with our work. I look forward to hearing from you. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Well, this has been absolutely (laughs) a delight. And um, we will have to have you back on maybe in next season or something, something like that and get more good stuff from you. So thank you again and have a wonderful rest of your day and weekend. Thank you, Erica. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you.